the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time for Talk Law Radio with Todd Marquardt. Todd Marquardt, attorney at law in Texas. If you're a millionaire or a thousandaire, Talk Law Radio is now on the air. Call in with your business law question, your elder law question. Veteran aid, Medicaid, build a business to get paid. 210-308-8867. Or ask a question online at marquardlawfirm.com. That's M-A-R-Q-U-A-R-D-T, lawfirm.com. And now, it's Talk Law Radio with Todd Marquardt. Welcome to Talk Law Radio. I'm Todd Marquardt. We're here on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. And later, we'll be on Apple Podcasts and www.talklawradio.com. You can interact with us today on Facebook Live. Just post your questions or comments in the comments section for the post. Marquardt Law Firm sponsors our show today, and attorneys at Marquardt Law Firm focus on business and estate law, including last wills, living trusts, and tax-protected inheritance plans, including new businesses and old businesses, which might have issues with corporations, contracts, LLCs, family-limited partnerships, and we can represent those who are facing problems from lack of planning, like in district court, county court, and probate court. The State Bar of Texas is the state agency that governs attorney law licenses, and the State Bar wants attorneys to inform the public about the law, but because legal advice must be tailored to the specific circumstances of each case, and because laws are ever-changing, Material discussed in this program is meant for general informational purposes only and is not to be construed as tax, legal, or investment advice. Although the information has been gathered from sources believed to be reliable, please note that individual situations can vary. Therefore, the information you hear today should be relied upon only when coordinated with your individual professional advice. Before we get started talking about the law, let's begin with prayer. Dear God, thank you for this day and for all the gifts and blessings that you give to us. Please forgive us for our sins, for our mistakes, for doing the wrong thing or failing to do your will. Please help Alejandro Rocha and me give good information to the listeners about residential mortgage today. Help us to use the gifts and talents you have provided for the good of your people for our own good and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now it's time to discover your legal issue blind spots by listening to me talk about the law on the radio. Today's show, like I said before, is about mortgages, and uh, I'm going to ask Alejandro today about mortgage market update as of uh, March 2022 or uh, whenever the last information he has that was available. Our guest is Alejandro Rocha. He's a mortgage broker with Edge Home Finance Corporation. He's been working in the industry for seven years, and he graduated with a bachelor's in business administration and finance from University of Houston. You can contact Alejandro at 210-305-6520. You can find him on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, at Alejandro Funds Home Loans. Or you can email him at alejandro.rocha at edgehomefinance.com. Okay, welcome to the show. Oh, thank, thank you for having me. I appreciate um, it. Sorry about the distraction here. <laughs> uh, Lexi is with me today because uh, my wife is working. And uh, the reason that she's working is because they're they're shorthanded at her hospital. She's a labor and delivery nurse, 
So if you are a labor and delivery nurse and you're looking at opportunities of places uh, to work, um, email me at host at talklawradio.com because if uh, her hospital gets fully staffed again, then I won't have to bring Lexi to the radio station. (laughs) You should bring her more often because she's a cute distraction. (laughs) Okay, Alejandro, tell us, where are you from? Uh, I am am from, born and raised in San Antonio, Texas. I've been here my whole life. Um, I'm probably going to stay here maybe my whole life. (laughs) Um, I grew up on the south side of San Antonio, um, I went to Edison High School. Uh, I attended San Antonio College. Um, I graduated from the University of Houston, uh, Victoria, from their online program. And uh, yeah, I've been here for a big, for all my life. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Okay, San Antonio native. Mm-hmm. Uh, tell us something about your family. What what shaped your background? How did you? Uh, go from where you were to being interested in mortgage finance? Well, um, a little bit of my background for my family. So they are originally from Mexico, um, at least my mom's side of the family. And when they came to the States, they knew that they had to make something of themselves. Um, my family is very, uh, they like to motivate, um, us as, uh, as, as like their, like, like their children. And they've always taught us to do better for yourself. And, um, you know, they've, they've, uh, really done a really good job, uh, as to showing us like that you can do it. Um, because obviously they have the majority of my family that came from Mexico. They're a big chunk of them are in the medical field themselves. So uh, I myself was supposed to be in the medical field. <laughs> I was supposed to go to hopefully become a cardiovascular surgeon. And that did not happen. <laughs> uh, for my for my own personal reasons, um, I figured, what do I want to do? And, you know, I essentially, essentially started off at Wells Fargo. Uh, obviously, they're a very national bank. And uh, for some reason, I like numbers, and numbers always made sense to me. And uh, I figured, why not go into something business, right? And of course, uh, if you, when you start off somewhere, you tend to play like your cards right, so that you can know like what you want to do with your life, what direction you want to take. And so I took the initiative to going the mortgage route. Um, of course, I started in loss mitigation, then I went to originations, and so. Um, yeah, mortgage has been a big part. And uh, not only do I get to mess, you know, play with numbers, but I also get to help families, mm-hmm. um, loss mitigation wise and also origination. So it's a really big part as to what I do um, to helping individuals on a one on one basis. So. I was supposed to be a doctor too. <laughs> <laughs> my granddad was an eye doctor. My dad was an eye doctor. And so I started out with that. Well, actually, I started out as a music major. Oh, okay. Saxoph- what did you play? Saxophone, primarily the nice. alto saxophone. And then and then I went pre-med. Um, but what really motivated me to get to class was uh, learning about political science and government. So it was really the interest that that pulled me away. Nice. Plus, chemistry was so hard. Uh, Numbers were not my thing. (laughs) And I I took chemistry three times, and (laughs) calculus was even uh, more difficult. So. Tell me about it. I don't even. Sometimes I think back and I'm like, I don't know how I passed calculus. <laughs> and you know, don't get me wrong. Math is not hard. What it is is that it's a lot of time that you have to put into it, mm-hmm. right? And it's just a lot of time, and not a lot of people have time like that. So, um, but no, I get it. I get it. Okay, you mentioned loss mitigation. What exactly does that mean? Yeah, so loss mitigation basically means that when a homeowner has a home and for whatever reason they're having trouble uh, with their mortgage, um, first and foremost, the, ins- the institution is obligated to try to help them, 
right? Why, why, why do you need help? Why are you passed through? And from there, uh, you know, there's a dedicated team uh, who is trying to see what we can do to help out um, that client to help them save their home. Um, because obviously, when, when one is passed through, um, when, when we talk about legal, uh, you know, uh, the word that we don't want to say is foreclosure mm-hmm, <laughs> and mm-hmm. uh, that happens right when you're past due when you're behind your mortgage if you don't get if you don't get caught up in it Texas is one of the most conservative states who forecloses very quickly uh, and so my job at the time doing that was just to make sure what can I do to assist this client um, to help them from saving their home and to avoid foreclosure uh, okay so, yeah. well thank you for explaining that we have to take a break When we come back, we'll talk more about mortgages, so stay tuned. estate questions have profound impacts on your business or estate. Changes of ownership to your real estate could impact your business or your legacy to your children and grandchildren. It may be less expensive to prevent a mistake than to correct one. If you have real estate questions, it's a good idea to contact an attorney who focuses on last wills, living trusts, and tax-protected inheritance plans. Call today to schedule your no-cost legal consultation. 210-530-4278. That's 210-530-4278. Marquardt Law Firm. Welcome back to Talk Law Radio. I'm Todd Marquardt. Here's Lexi and Alejandro Rocha is with us talking about residential mortgages today. He just finished talking about loss mitigation. And now I'd like to hear from you. Uh, What's the mortgage interest rate like right now? What's the mortgage market like? Boy, oh boy, things have changed dramatically from a year to now. Um, Even so, in the past couple of weeks, to be honest, um, look at it this way. Back in December, November, we'd probably be looking at a uh, 2.99% on a government loan, right, which means FHA, VA. Um, Today, those same loans, we're probably looking at about 3.5-3.6% with good credit. Uh, so rates have increased and, um, the fed is looking to, uh, have another meeting sometime this month on the 15th and 16th, 15th or 16th. And, uh, they're actually looking to, um, increase the rate probably by 0.25%, um, higher. So they are, they are increasing. <laughs> and so if the fed raises it 0.25, how do, does the typical mortgage interest rate raise the same amount? Um, in a sense. So uh, the Fed basically sets the rate at a standard, and then the lender is supposed to also set their rate where it meets like their margins. And so that's where one shops around for a mortgage, right? Because um, one lender can say, uh, we're at 3.5%, and the other one would say, we're at 3.6%. Um uh, when it comes to those different types of rates, and more so now, uh, you know, uh, for an example, when I purchased my house uh, last year in October, uh, my home is a conventional loan, and I and I got a two point three five percent conventional rate, which is wild. That's, that's not happening right that's now. Really good. Very good. <laughs> and so, with that said, you know, obviously rates have dramatically increased. Uh, obviously, due to a lot of things that are going on uh, with, the, with the pandemic, you know, with, with wars and um, inflation is a really big thing. And so, rates go up because the Fed is looking to balance out inflation, trying to balance out markets. And mm-hmm. so, um, yeah, they have. They have increased. <laughs> okay. So you mentioned conventional loan, and earlier you mentioned uh, government lending like FHA and VA. Mm-hmm. Can we go through each one of those and talk about how they're different, what the different requirements are? Absolutely. 
Um, so first and foremost, we'll probably start with uh, FHA. That's probably, I, I figure, a standard one. Um, people, when you look at an FHA loan to a conventional loan, there's two types of reasons why you would pick one or the other. Um, a conventional loan is typically a little bit more easier to finance, a little bit more easier to underwrite. But it does require for that client to have a more smoother application. And what I mean by that is meaning that their credit is decent, their income is pretty good. Um, there's not you know, anything major on the credit report that would raise red flags. Typically, um, somebody who has a history of you know, past due payments, you know, lower credit score, um, that would go more towards an FHA route uh, for a loan because those loans are a little bit more lenient when it comes to like the credit. Um, when you look at the two FHA compared to um, conventional, um, FHA is a government loan. Um, so it is funded, uh, you know, by HUD as opposed to a conventional. It's a sponsored government loan, and mm-hmm. so I guess you could say those are more private entities that that fund conventional, that back conventional, mm-hmm. as opposed to a FHA loan, which is government. You know, essentially the the Fed will, will back it up. Right. Um, you know, they're, they're willing to put more risk into those types of loans. Okay. So I wanted to give the listeners some background on FHA uh, because that's my part in the show, the law part. (laughs) So the Federal Housing Administration is an agency of the Department of Housing and Urban Development. That's why it's called FHA, Federal Housing Administration. Well, it was created by the National Housing Act of 1934, and so FHA ensures lenders uh, against the possibility of default. And so that's why um, those borrowers with uh, less than stellar credit could to, could qualify for that type of loan and, mm-hmm. and, and buy a house. Mm-hmm. So I know everybody's different because we all have different jobs. We all have different levels of income. Sure. We all have different credit scores. And even if the the score is the same, like you said, there might be things on the credit report that are different. But knowing we're all different, there's probably some general information guidelines that that you can tell us about um, when – what what's the credit score that b- below this one you would probably fall under a FHA it's a great question so as soon as i pull credit um typically if fico comes down less than 700 it's it's i should already start looking at fha okay um Yes. Um, and then if it's higher than 700, then obviously we're looking more towards a, a conventional loan. Um, now, we could probably still make it work under 700 for a conventional, but a conventional, again, it's not um, – to be able to get funded for a loan like that you know, with a lower credit score is a lot riskier. And so what happens is that they end up tackling um, an additional um, cap of interest into like the – quote-unquote interest that's being quoted for that borrower. I see. It's so, more expensive. Exactly. So, for example, if you're over 700, you can get a 4% conventional loan. But if you're under, uh, you know, 700, maybe like at 680, um, you'll probably be quoted like at 4.25%, right? Like it, it's higher mm-hmm. um, because obviously you're like the credit ranges and different thresholds. And so – that's why typically if it falls under 700, it's like, okay, we should look more towards FHA because it'll give better pricing. Okay. Right. So it means cheaper payment for the mm-hmm. borrower. Right. Mm-hmm. And what would the credit score be where you shouldn't apply yet? You need to clean things up to even get the FHA. Well, um, without having to have so many conditions and when i mean by conditions meaning a lot of back and forth of having to prove things making your application process a lot more smoother at least above 580 okay 580 for fha anything lower than that it would require more documentation for the underwriters and so um 
it's going to be a little bit more tedious. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's why typically we want to just leave it above 580. But if it's under 580, we could still make things happen as a broker at least, right? And that's what makes me different from a regular retail loan officer. Um, I could find lenders who would be willing to underwrite a loan for a credit score under 580. It's just that it's a little bit more tedious work. Um, Okay. mm -hmm. That's uh, good to know. And tell us a little bit about guarantors and and co-signers. Yeah, good question. So co-signers are typically, I mean, the the term is pretty, um, you know, straightforward, co-signer, co-signing for something. (laughs) And so a co-signer is typically added onto a loan. Um, If the first primary borrower who's looking to purchase the home doesn't have high standards, meaning like a higher credit score or their income's kind of low. So they need to add a co-signer to be able to make their application stronger for approval, right? Meaning more income, a better um, credit that could average out the FICO. Um, Typically, co-signers have almost the exact same rights um, as a primary owner. There's really no... I would say there's really no difference uh, when it comes to, you know, one has the rights of the home as opposed to the other doesn't. Right. Um, so they're typically, you know, um, hand in hand. Um, a um, And I'm sorry, I'm going to chop this word. Uh, guarantor. Right. A guarantor is more leaning towards like a, I don't want to say like power of attorney, but somebody who is assisting um, this borrower with this transaction for whatever necessary needs that like need to be done. Um, I have personally not dealt with a guarantor myself. Um, those are specific loans for, for like specific items. For example, when I was in loss mitigation, um, you know, when somebody would need help, you know, typically they'll have somebody like that. And there was a special team who would handle them um, because they do require certain paperwork, right? It's not the same. Right. Um, and so I, I don't, I don't want to say I have too much experience for it, but um, typically for origination side, um, they would essentially assist the primary um, a borrower with the transaction itself. So, but okay. Well, that's uh, helpful information for those people that might need somebody to help uh, boost the the application success rate by mm-hmm. uh, adding their name onto the contract. They're yeah. they're going to be liable for the money due. So that's a big risk for them. Exactly. <laughs> it's a lot to ask for. But, hey, you know, if your spouse or partner is willing to do it to help you, and, you know, the goal was to get into a home and, and, and you can trust one another, why not, you know? Okay. But. Well, that's a lot to ask for. <laughs> uh, I say if you're not married, um, it, it's a difficult situation when you buy a home together because uh, there's – Divorce is the mechanism of separating things when things go wrong. Mm -hmm. But if you're not married, then there's not a lot of statutes that you can rely on on getting things separated. Mm -hmm. It's it's more like just an informal partnership, sort of like a business transaction. Mm -hmm. And so that's a bigger risk. But I do see a lot of people buying homes together that aren't married. I just think um, maybe they should see a lawyer. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, I say the same thing too. Uh, I mean, and of course, I set those expectations. Hey, if anything happens, you just have to figure out. There are options, refinance, right? Assumptions, meaning that one wants to assume the home by themselves only in their name. Okay. Uh, you just have to find the proper avenues to get that done. Um, so it's not the complete end of the world, but, you know. At the same time, it's kind of the legality of trying to figure out, well, who gets to have the house? <laughs> right. And can one person afford it? Exactly. Without the other income? Exactly. You're exactly correct. Okay. So we talked about conventional and FHA. Um, before we move on from there, I wanted to ask about um, first-time homebuyer programs because there might people asking for FHA, you know, they might be first time? Yeah, no, that's a good question. And so, um, yeah, so there are first time homebuyer programs. And I personally feel they're great because they allow the opportunity for one to get into a home 
um, without having to bring so much money to the table. Um, not the average person has, you know, $15,000, $20,000 saved up. Um, it's expensive. And to close on a home, typically from a $250,000 to $300,000 loan, um, that's how much you have to bring to the table. That's your down payment plus the um, closing costs that you have to pay. And so to tell somebody, hey, you want to buy a home, but you have to have this money, they're like, eesh. You know, that's a lot. And right. so and so these first time homebuyer programs allow one the opportunity to help them bring that money to the table. Right. Um, which is good because it allows them to get into a home. Um, you know, typically one should say you should save. But, you know, as each year goes by, houses get more expensive. So this is, uh, allows them the opportunity to get into it faster. And so that's why I feel like they're very be- beneficial to the client. Okay. We have to take another break when we come back. We'll talk more about some first-time homebuyer programs and what the requirements might be, what what exactly the benefits might be. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. back to Talk Law Radio. I'm Todd Marquardt here with Alejandro Rocha. Uh, What's the name of your company? Um, Edge Home Finance Corporation. Okay. And if they want to ask you more questions about their own personal situation, what number should they call? They should call me at 210-305-6520. And you can text or call. Okay. Text message too. I just wanted to mention I found some information on the San Antonio uh, government website about first-time homebuyers, and uh, there's this one program that it has income limits. Mm -hmm. It's called HIP-80, and the income limits are if you're a one-person household, your income has to be less than $41,550 annually. So are the are most first-time home buyer programs like that? They have income limits? Yes. And some are, you know, obviously this one's a little bit more local, um, which is probably why I haven't really looked into it because the limit is just a little bit lower than I expected. Okay. <laughs> and so what that means is that the other first-time home buyer um, programs that are out there, uh, the income limits are a little bit more higher, right? So it gives a little bit more flexibility um, for somebody to get into a home if they're over, I think you mentioned 41000 Right, right, right. Yeah. So, um, so yeah. So um, now with these first-time home buyers, like you said, they, there are income limits to it. Um, now, typically, uh, the first-time home buyers are usually, uh, you know, one uh, one income, right? Sometimes they're two, and as long as they don't exceed that threshold of the income limit, um, you could still make it work. Um, now, the good thing about these programs is, like uh, the ones that I I use or refer to, um, they're grants, so you don't have to pay it back, which is pretty cool. Um, so, you know, basically, uh, they can cover up to 3.5% of a down payment. And again, that could be about like, uh, maybe $9,000, $8,000 that you have to bring to the table. Um, there are other ones that also provide, um, closing cost credit as well. Um, so some programs allow you to bring sometimes zero, which is amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, now again, it's free, right? So you don't have to pay it back. And then people typically always ask, Alejandro, well, what's the catch? <laughs> You know, what is it? And I say, well, to be honest, um, not all money, not all money is free money, right? It has to come out somewhere. And the way that that comes out is essentially the rate. And so some people, you know, they'll say, well, can I look into this first time home buyer program? Sure. Um, the rates will be a little bit more than average, right? What you would have been eligible for, for a rate. Um, and they ask, well, why? And I'm like, well, you're getting free money. <laughs> Right. You know, and it has to come out somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, now, the good thing is that even though the rate is higher um, than average of what you would have been eligible for, it's not forever. 
Right. Uh, essentially, if you close your mortgage loan, you can refinance it from six months to a year um, t- to be able to get a lower rate. And lower me- rate means uh, lower payment. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of the upside of it. Um, so I, I, I typically like to tell them, you know, it's not the end of the world. Um, if you if you can do it so that you don't have to bring no money to the table, go for it, you know. So in in a hot market like we've had here in San Antonio, had, does it affect the buying process? Uh, can you get beat out by another buyer that doesn't have, isn't a part of this program? Is it more attractive to the seller if the buyer is not a part of this program? Great question. Yes, it makes a big difference, right? Because when you're buying a home and you're looking to put in your offer, you're you're supposed to disclose, well, at least from the realtor side to the, the, the seller, what type of loan you're going to get into, right? Because they're supposed to select whichever one's going to be the best option for, for who's going to buy it, meaning is it going to be smooth? Is there going to be any problems? Now, the thing with first-time homebuyer programs is that it's a, it's, uh, it has to be done through an FHA loan. And FHA loans can be very tedious, um, meaning that there's a lot more work that you have to put into it. If something, if they see a random deposit, it's a question, it's a red flag, and they have to trace it down. So little things like that, um, and the realtors know that, right? So when a seller is has all these uh, all these offers, and they look through maybe 15 of them that they got. I hate to say it, but in this market that we are right now, if it's an FHA, especially with a down payment assistance program, they don't. They typically tell their 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 um, their client, no. We have a conventional one. It's a little bit more mm-hmm. easier. They're bringing the down payment, you know. Yeah. So that's kind of the downside of the current market that we're in, and having um, the first time home buyer option. So that's why I like to tell, and you know, when obviously when we start the process to buy a home, um, I do disclose that to them. Hey, you know, by having this program, you may or may not have some trouble, you know, getting an offer accepted because of the type of program that it is. Okay, well, that's good to know up front. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, another type of loan that people are interested in here in San Antonio mm-hmm. is the VA loan because we have a lot of veterans. Uh, of the U.S. military living here. Absolutely. So tell us about how that program might be different. Yeah, VA is amazing. Um, I, I truly believe that our vets deserve everything that, you know, can be offered to them because, you know, they, they do sacrifice um, for our free country. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so with that said, um, the VA typically has an option for zero down payment um, to uh, buy a home. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that everything is free, right? Most vets sometimes go into the option thinking, well, I don't have to bring no money. And unfortunately, that's not the case. Uh, you don't have a down payment, which is amazing. If you buy a $300,000 house, maybe 400000 no down payment. However, you do have to bring the required funds to close. Um, there's different things that go into the closing costs. There's your um, uh, there's your escrow, which is your taxes, your insurance that you have to pay, any third-party fees like the um, title company, right? All of that goes into closing, and so it has to be paid for. Typically, some things are very minor when it comes to programs to being able to provide, um, you know, um, our our VA vets an option to bring, um, mo- like, no money to the table, um, but it just depends where you go. Um, so. I guess that would require a seller agreeing to pay all the closing costs in some cases yes but not all the time for example in my situation uh you know i had a i had a vet who got declined by two loan officers right and he was referred to me by a real estate agent he said you know she told him give a hundred chance like i know he works hard to make some magic happen um i reviewed his loan uh i got him approved with no problems and then when we started the process he was looking for a house and we got him locked in I don't know how I did it. Well, I know how I did it, but I was shocked as well. <laughs> I was able to provide such a large credit at closing. He literally brought nothing to the table. Absolutely zero. Wow. I, I, that that wouldn't happen at other places. That's for sure. That's for a fact. And so, uh, you know, there's VA rates are supposed to be really good and they're good. And so if they're good, they also provide very good credits to our vets. And so... 
when you go to a broker such as myself, I have the opportunity to play more with like the margin, right? To uh, most uh, most banks out there, they have to pay somebody to bring them business, right? And so with me, I don't necessarily have that, and so um, it just gives the opportunity to be able to provide more to the client um, to help them at and, closing. And how does a, a VA loan? Um, help or, or hurt somebody's chance in getting the uh, the house that they want in a hot market? Uh, VA can be, it can, it can, I don't want to say it can be discriminated, but uh, I don't know if that's the proper word to say, but it, it can be, it can out, they can be outbid because VA as well, it's a government loan. And so what that means is that the VA wants to ensure that it meets its standards. And so if you're looking to buy a house and it has a porch, but it doesn't have like, um, like the fence to be able to ensure like somebody doesn't fall, the VA is going to be like, uh, you got to fix that before we can okay. fund you the loan. And so realtors as well, when they see that it's a, it's a VA loan, they also have to question, well, how does my house look like? Would it be approved by VA? Right. right. Will there be any delays? And so sometimes that can also, I'll, I'll, I'll bid the client. And so sellers are really looking for buyers that have conventional loans. Well, I wouldn't necessarily say sellers. Maybe it's more of like the agents because sellers don't know that. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? They don't know what goes into, uh, you know, all of like the, like like the tedious work um, that a loan requires and stuff. Um, and and unfortunately, it goes more on the hands of the agent. Uh, they typically they're they're hired there to provide their best um, their best interest as to like what's going to be better for their client. So it's 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 the reality of the situation. It's if it's going to take longer. You know that that's a disadvantage, right? Take longer or just have more issues. Meaning, hey, you got to fix this, you got to fix that. Um, and really, there's nothing wrong with it sometimes, right? I mean, if it takes longer, I feel maybe the chance should be provided. Um, that's why you know when when you when you're buying a home and you and you put an offer, sometimes it's good to write a letter or something, right? Telling the seller you should pick me because. Oh, okay. Yeah. I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. That's a good tip. Let's talk more about that after our break. Absolutely. Stay tuned, and Alejandro will tell us something uh, that we can do to entice a seller to close with us. (laughs) Stay tuned. estate questions have profound impacts on your business or estate. Changes of ownership to your real estate could impact your business or your legacy to your children and grandchildren. It may be less expensive to prevent a mistake than to correct one. If you have real estate questions, it's a good idea to contact an attorney who focuses on last wills, living trusts, and tax-protected inheritance plans. Call today to schedule your no-cost legal consultation. 210-530-4278. That's 210-530-4278. Marquardt Law Firm. Welcome back to Talk Law Radio. I'm Todd Marquardt. We're here talking about mortgages with Alejandro Rocha. And uh, you probably notice that uh, if you're watching on Facebook Live that I don't have Lexi on my lap anymore. Uh, <laughs> she made it clear that that was not where she wanted to spend her time. And so I gave her some water and now she's on the floor <laughs> over there. She's uh, resting peacefully. <laughs> Before the break, Alejandro was uh, telling us that it might be a good idea for um, a, a buyer to write a letter to the seller. Tell us more about that. Yeah. So I actually had a, a client once who, you know, she really wanted to buy this house in the neighborhood that she grew up in. And, of course, the multiple offers were submitted. And, you know, she ended up submitting a letter and saying why she should be selected. And she put her heart into that letter and her offer got accepted. And I thought, wow, that's amazing. And, you know, you can do that. You know, 
Now, would your realtor recommend that? I don't know. But I feel that if you can get your point across and say why and, you know, give them a reason, um, you might have an opportunity. Uh, another good way as well, really quickly to, to um, outbid is to also get a, um, a full approval before you submit your offer. Um, and so there's an opportunity for you to have your, your loan underwritten already before you even submit the offer. And what you do is that you would, you would give the paperwork to the realtor, the seller's agent, be like, hey, my loan has already been underwritten. I'm approved. Here is what you could see that what's required left. And if they could see like, oh, like, there's not much left, mm-hmm. you know, let's pick him. So when you're get when you're asking for a loan, doesn't the the mortgage or the bank need to know what the property is? Yes and no. So uh, you know, typically we we full underwrite your loan based off how much you want to buy. Now we need the subject property to be able to get the the value, right? The appraisal. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not that big of an issue. But essentially, to be able to say we have your your income underwritten, like the credit portion out the way. Now we just need the appraisal. Um, so it makes your process easier to be um, – your, your offer to be accepted. If you can provide the sellers, hey, this is why you should pick me because I've already been fully underwritten. We're halfway there. Okay, great. Yeah. Anything else you want to add about how to get a loan, how to get a, a mortgage? Why should they choose a, a mortgage broker instead of a, a bank loan? Yeah, uh, mortgage brokers just provide a lot more flexibility as to what they can do. Um, they fight for you. They advocate for you um, because most brokers, like myself, we used to work for it with banks and and like the credit union. So we understand what they go through and what they require and the hassle. And so being a broker provides a lot more flexibility with pricing, especially with rates. Um, there's a lot more that we can do um as opposed to the bank it is what it is it that's just their standard typical loan and that's it me i oversee 30 plus lenders so your everybody's uh situation is unique so my job is to see where does your situation fit right where where can we make it work who's who's going to give you the best offer um and so that's why i feel brokers are a lot more better for a client um because we just provide more flexibility okay great yeah uh I've enjoyed talking to you about uh, mortgage lending. Um, During the break, you mentioned that uh, there's a lot more that you could say. But (laughs) in an hour, you're just basically giving an overview. Exactly. And everybody's situation's different. And Mm -hmm. so that in order to give specific information you would have to know everything about that person right exactly exactly i you know and and typically people get scared They're like oh i don't want to apply because i'm not ready well how do you expect to know if you're ready if you don't even know where you stand mm-hmm. right people wait months years to say okay i'm ready to buy a house and then you're ready and it's like uh, your credit's not where it needs to be you know so typically when you apply for a mortgage if you're ready great if you're not it at least provides you the opportunity to let you know where you stand and I think you knowing that information helps you a lot more better and it gets you prepared for what you actually want, you know? Awesome. Okay, now we'll talk about legacy. Sure. The legacy segment is uh, because Marquardt Law Firm sponsors the show and attorneys at Marquardt Law Firm focus on business and estate law, including last wills and living trusts and tax-protected inheritance plans. And... What drives all of that is a person's legacy, what they're going to leave behind when they go to heaven. So what's your philosophy about legacy? Uh, My legacy is just basically to be able, what can I do um, to help my future generation, right? Obviously, I would love to say, you know, my parents have left me like a whole lot, but unfortunately, they had to start that legacy themselves, Right. They had to provide a better opportunity for me. And even though maybe to their eyes it wasn't enough, it was enough for me to also uh, start ahead so that I can be able to leave an actual legacy as well for for my generation to come. Uh, You know, whether my parents decide to leave me, you know, their their wealth or their house or if they don't have one or if they do, I have already – you know, started that process. You're not really expecting assets from them. Right, right. And which is okay, right? But I know for a fact that I want to be able to leave 
assets for my next generation as well mm-hmm. um, because I feel like it would it would help them it would help them with their um, with their wealth in the future um, and so if I can provide that opportunity like why not you know and I, and I feel everybody should be able to do that and one of the biggest things is with mortgage right um, you can leave that as assets you have equity that they can use to be able to buy more assets mm-hmm. um, it's a very good thing to have and so to your point of having legacy you know it's 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 good for everyone. What what else uh, are you interested in uh, besides work that might be part of your legacy? Uh, cars. Yeah, <laughs> I love me a good car. Um, Tell us about um, your car club. Yeah, so uh, so we, uh, you know, I I own a Lexus. I, I own an RCF and. If you don't own a Lexus, go get one. And I'm not advertising for them. <laughs> uh, you know, essentially, there's a good, a good group of us who own, you know, the same type of car. And the, the passion that we have for, the, for, the, for the, the brand and the car that it is is just amazing. And um, today, we just met up for a car meet, uh, you know, at Cars and Coffee. And it was amazing. We got to meet people and network and... Um, being able to have a car as I do, it's, it's, it's a blessing for sure. Um, and, uh, yeah. (laughs) So it's more than just getting you from A to B. It, it's something that's interesting to you and, uh, brings you in fellowship with other people. Absolutely. Absolutely. If, of course, if I didn't do what I did with my car or look into building a, a partnership with these people, I mean, I wouldn't have met them and they're, they're all wonderful, you know, and essentially, um, I feel like that's how one gets to step outside to be able to, uh, you know, see the world, meet new people, new things that they have to offer to you, right. That you didn't know of, or mm-hmm. that you now know of. So, I, I had a friend from church that was a member of the Corvette Club. Nice. <laughs> and he he was passionate about it, too, because it was just fun to go see other people's cars, yeah. and they would meet up and talk and get to know each other. Yeah. But if you don't have a fancy car, I, I think that any car is part of a legacy. Absolutely. In, in my practice, I... I see a lot of families that are passing down a car, and the the family member that receives it is usually somebody that needs it, mm-hmm. even if it's, you know, um, on its last leg. Mm-hmm. If it runs, it's going to get them from A to B, right. and that's uh, more convenient transportation right. than having to wait for the bus. When I uh, was in law school, I worked a summer for the general land office in Austin. And uh, the family I was staying with, a family friend, lived in Cedar Park. And so a couple of times I tried driving from there to downtown, and it was an absolute nightmare. And so I changed to just riding the bus. Right. I'd park in the commuter lot, ride the bus, and, and that was a lot more... Uh, Less stressful, right? But less flexible because I had to. I could only take it on Certain very times. specific times, yes. and it takes longer. Yes, because you have to wait for the bus. Right. You have to wait for people to get off. Mm-hmm. So I think that leaving an inheritance of a car is a blessing for for those who who just receive it with even without having to pay for it. But even those who do have to pay for it, it's still a blessing for them because they're getting an affordable car. Absolutely. Um, recently, a few months ago, my mom passed away, oh, and goodness. she had a car. It was old, and it it's beat up a little bit, but it runs good. And uh, a young man came to the office today to, to buy it, and he was so happy. <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> yeah, and so I feel like the... My mom would be happy knowing that he got to get uh, it. that it was going to be useful for him and absolutely. improve his life in yeah. that small way. Yeah, absolutely. When, you know, when you when you say legacy, now that I kind of think about it, uh, if you know who Nicki Minaj is, right? Nicki Minaj is a rapper, and you know, I'm a biggest fan. Something that she said many years ago, maybe eight nine years ago, she says, um, "I want to. Uh, I, I I like to or like to live." Um, 
what did she say? She said something about um, life without struggle. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And so to be able to leave a legacy to the generation without that struggle that I had to go through, like, it's just comforting to me. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Right. And, and so that I feel like that's what legacy is. You know, it just provides opportunity. And like you said, it was a beat-up car, but, hey, that beat-up car is going to get you to a new job you just got hired to right, right? Exactly. make it easier for you, mm-hmm. not so stressful. And if you have the opportunity to give that to somebody like your next generation, why not? You and it, well, what you're saying goes along with what the theologian Martin Luther said. That they somebody asked him if if the world was going to end tomorrow, what would you do today? He said, "I'd plant a tree because that's what I was going to do anyway." <laughs> <laughs> But to plant a tree that you're not going to enjoy today so that somebody years from now will have shade, that's a legacy Yeah. to, to make things more comfortable for the exactly. next generation. Exactly. And I'm and, and sorry. And she says, uh, seeing life without struggle, you know, it's That would comforting. be nice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for joining me today. Absolutely. It was such a pleasure for having me. I really do appreciate it. And if you ever want to talk about more about mortgage, let me know. And I'll oh, back. we'll give your number out again. <laughs> oh, my number is 210-305-6520. And you can call and text whenever you okay. like. This is Talk Law Radio. If you have a suggestion for a show, email me at host at talklawradio.com. That's H-O-S-T at talklawradio.com. We'll be back next week with attorney Daniel Palmer. We'll be talking about juvenile law. Stay tuned. Bye. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.